Well, you ready to get into the word? This is my third sermon, I guess. Yeah, Colossians chapter 3. Let's turn there. And I have some notes up on the screen. What we put up on the screen, by the way, we'll put in a PowerPoint and they are online so you can download those. Uh, so if you don't have to, I see some of you taking pictures or whatever. I will be glad to share the notes with you. We talked a, a couple weeks ago about 10 one another's, and last week we talked about a culture of forgiveness and bearing with one another. The week before that, we talked about a culture of honor. Today, I want to talk about a culture of growing discipleship and also being a people unified in purpose. Can we just pray that God would open our hearts? Lord, so many times when you spoke, you said, to him who has ears to hear, let him hear. That I, I can't get over that, Lord, because there you were, the very Son of God, speaking the words of life, and yet there were people that couldn't hear what you were saying. Lord, we don't want to just be people that come for an entertaining word or a, just to be inspired or encouraged. We want to hear your word and obey it. We want to be people that have spiritual ears to hear. Sometimes we've heard things before and we have a tendency to turn off. But today, Lord, you have things specifically that you want to speak to people's hearts. Lord, I pray not only that your word would go forth, but that your Holy Spirit would take this word and that you would impart what you want to impart, that you would break strongholds, that you would release people to what you've called them to be and do, and that you would let this word change and transform us in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, I just pray that your blessing would be on the word and on all of us as we obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Well, Colossians 3, 15, we'll finish where we had started last week. We start, stopped in verse 14, so let's pick up in verse 15. He says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you as richly, you richly as you teach and admonish one another through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. So sometimes people say, why do we gather on Sunday morning? What did you do this morning? You sang songs to one another, not just to the Lord, but we sang and proclaimed things that had an effect of, I don't know about you, but it encouraged me. I love that Dennis uh, came in. Dennis is my music guy. He knows every Christian artist for the last 40 years. But you came in, and Pastor Dan Page, a mutual friend of ours, had something on his face, but he gave you a song this morning. And it started living in your heart. Sometimes we can encourage one another by speaking a song, by speaking something that gives life. In verse 17, he goes on, he says, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We are called to be a community, not individuals. We are called to be a community of discipleship. That's because we need each other. We need to help each other grow in the knowledge of God and understanding who the Lord Jesus Christ is. Christianity is not an individual pursuit. It's a team sport. What do I mean by that? You can't become who God wants you to be without the help of other people in the body of Christ. God has designed that we walk together. Jesus makes this so clear in what he said, but also what he did. When he called people, he didn't just call individuals and have one-on-one -on -one mentorship meetings with them. He called a group of people together to walk with him. There were the 12. There was a whole group of women that were attached to his ministry, and they uh, supported him and supported that 
that team. And altogether, there were probably about 70 men that were sent out two by two. But this was a community of people that was connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. And to walk with Jesus, you needed to learn to walk with the other disciples. Now, we've got a problem, and it's especially a problem in America, because a lot of people want to walk with Jesus. They don't want to walk with the other disciples. If you weren't here last week, I addressed that. Well, I got hurt in church. You will get hurt. Since this is a full-contact team sport, Christianity, there are times when you're going to be injured. There are times when your people will rub you the wrong way. There will be times when people say things to you, and I've got people in my life that love me more than I can ever imagine, but they have the authority to speak into my life things to me that may be challenging or hurtful. We're going to get to that in a moment. Think about this, okay? Because it's not all fun and games and it's not all encouragement. Sometimes we need to speak truth to one another in a way that can stretch uh, people. So we are called, he says here, we're called to teach and admonish one another in the word of God and uh, the things of the Holy Spirit. The word admonish, we don't use that much today, so I'm going to break that down and we'll break down the Greek word and what that means. So being a follower of Jesus was never meant to be a solitary journey. There were people back in the uh, uh, medieval period and the early church period that moved out to the desert so they could be holy people. And they lived in shacks and they would beat themselves on the back every time they had a sinful thought. By the way, Jesus never endorsed that. That's not the way to discipleship. It's funny, if you read some of the desert fathers, those guys that moved out, they said, even though we moved away from everything, we found out the problem was still there. It was in our heart. Well, how do you work out those things? Let me tell you how you work it out. You walk together with other people. You rub one another different ways, and we grow together in the kingdom of God. That's what God wants us to be. Jesus not only wanted people to learn from him and to grow with him, he wanted them to learn to grow with one another. He wanted them to live in a dynamic community, helping each of them to grow in the knowledge of God, understand what it meant to walk in the presence of the Lord. Now, listen, I have a great relationship with the Lord. I mean, I get up in the morning and I, and I get my coffee and I sit down and usually I just have this time with the Lord and it's awesome. But there's something that I get when I'm together with a group of people seeking God. It can be as small as Pastor Jeff and I praying in in the office during the week having a meeting, or it can be a larger group. It can be this group, or it can be a, a group of pastors or whatever, but there's something I get from being with other leaders that I don't get just alone. That's because God wants to reveal himself through a body of believers. He gives us the image of a human body, of all the parts working together. So you can't grow if you're not connected. Let's look at Ephesians 4 real quickly. You've heard me probably say this before. In Ephesians 4.11, it says, So Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God becoming mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So God is giving us here in these first few verses of Ephesians 4 that I read, he's giving us a pattern for what he wants the church to be. He says, I'm giving you leadership giftings. I'm connecting you to one another so that you will grow up in me and become mature. You can't become mature all on your own. 
I have people out there that listen to our sermons online. And if you're out there alone, sometimes you can't get to a church. That's fine. But if anybody's listening to me today, you need to connect to a church with real flesh and blood people. Even though that may be challenging sometimes relationally, we need to do that. Verse 14 says, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. That's a big sentence in verse 14, but I want you to just think about it for a moment with me. Most of the American church has been infants for a long time. I forget whether it was R.T. Kendall or there was another leader that I heard uh, that said the average age of the American church is about three years old. And most Christian congregations are going through the terrible twos. I can stop there. Can we, you, want, you want to just pray for a moment here? People blown back and forth by every wind of doctrine. I read about people that are supporting some of the strange doctrines out there, and I read about people following leaders that are so wacky, and I think, how could they do it? It's because they've never grown up in the Word. Be careful out there. You need to be careful of of what's, what's out there. And it says that by every wind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Let's stop there and let me tell you something. There are people that literally are out to deceive Christians. Jesus said there would be grievous wolves that would enter the flock. He said the wheat would grow with the tares. Sometimes people said, I can't believe some of the things that happen in churches. Well, if you had listened to Jesus, you would have known that those people are infiltrating the church all along. And they have been since the beginning of time. If we would grow up, we wouldn't let it happen. I'm going to say some hard things today, but it's time for the church to grow up. Can we grow up? And we need one another, and we need mature leaders to grow up. We don't need people that are out to build their own cult of personality. Watch out for people that promote their personality. Because they're trying to establish an identity different from their identity in the Lord Jesus Christ. It says instead, in verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament. What are ligaments? What does that represent here? A ligament is where two parts of the body are connected. A ligament is a relationship. The strength of the church is in relationships. The strength of the church is people relating to one another in integrity and relating to one another with honesty and openness, walking in the ways of God. That's what makes the church strong. So guess what? You're called to tend the relationships around you. What is God calling you about how to be connected to the church? Many people are barely connected. How does God want to connect you? We'll help you find your connections if you don't know what your connections are. And then it says, From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as every part does its work. So, who does the work of the church? Every part of the body. Everyone who has a role. So you may be a finger. You don't understand what the liver does. But if the liver doesn't do their job, fingers start feeling it sooner or later, right? We're connected. 
It happens as we walk in a healthy interconnectedness, interdependency. We have to connect to God, but we also have to connect to one another. Each one of us is using, should be using our unique gifts and calling and personality to fulfill God's design for his people on earth. Every part does its work. It's not just the role of the pastor and the staff to do the work. There are still people out there that believe that pastors are supposed to do all the work of the church. We pay professionals to do that. I just want to show up for a message. And I've had people tell me this. I don't want to get involved in a church. I want to go to a church where I can just sit. I've actually had people say that to me. Well, that's something you need to work out with God, you know, I would tell that person, because that's not God's design. Every part does its work. We build each other up. Instead, verse 15, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body. One of the ways we grow is by speaking truth into one another's life. By the way, this isn't preaching to one another. I'm not talking about uh, downloading on people and preaching at them. It's speaking to one another in love, and we're going to define how we do that in a moment. But before we do that, I want to say this. It's time to put away the institutional and entertainment models of the church. That's foreign to the gospel. It's not there. Those models are unbiblical and ineffective. Institutionals basically says professional clergy does all the ministry and coordinates a small group of motivated volunteers, usually 5% to 20% of the church, to put on an inspiring show for the rest of the church attenders who are consumers. That's where much of the church is today. It's entertainment. I can come and relax in a theater environment where everything is done for me, hopefully in under an hour, where I will be inspired and relieved of guilt that I've done my duty to God and man. If I just punch my time clock for God, I went, I did my church thing this week. I don't have to. And then I'll give a small amount of money in the value exchange proposition to support this system to have others do the work for me so I don't feel guilty. I don't like saying that, but that's where a lot of people are. We are in the midst of a church reformation happening in America. In the 1990s, Messenger had a meeting of all places in Las Vegas. (laughs) It was fun. It was really fun when one of our board members switched Gambler's Anonymous sign with a Messenger Fellowship sign. And we had all these guys coming in looking bewildered at what we were doing. And finally, we said, no, this is messenger. And then we said, but we can pray for you. And we ended up having a prayer meeting. It was, it was fantastic. <laughs> but at that time, I, I, said, I, I said, I feel like we're in the beginning of a period where God is going to reform the church. And a couple people jumped on that right away. And they said, no, that's too strong a word. We're just, well, to go back to the 90s. Put yourself in your time machine and go back there. Right? People didn't see it then. I said, no, we're in the beginning of a reformation where God is going to literally take apart and it's going to be an uncomfortable season and uh, he's going to shake the church and we need to be aware that there's, it's not just a revival. God's not trying to bring something back to life. As a matter of fact, he's allowing things to die. And that makes people very uncomfortable. And they say, what's happening to the church? The church is dying. Can I tell you, the church is not going to die. 
So here in America, you know, people are getting kind of weird about religion and they don't want to go to church and wearing all this stuff about millennials not wanting to go to church. Any millennials here? We love you. Hallelujah. So they're saying, so meanwhile, that's happening. Meanwhile, in Hong Kong, people protesting against the oppression of the Chinese government are singing hymns and songs. And the church of Jesus Christ is the center of what's happening there. Did you know that? Oh, you didn't read that in the news? They're singing songs that we sang in the Jesus movement in the 1970s in the streets of Hong Kong. Amazing, isn't it? Can I tell you there's a worldwide movement happening right now? That little island of Mauritius where Vijesh, Nilesh, and all those guys are from, they're starting so many churches. You saw Pastor Jeff sitting next to a guy named Jeremy Picard. I love Jeremy. He's one of the new guys that I'm relating to, but Jeremy... And uh, I think 40 other people from Reunion Island moved to Paris to start a church. They moved, they changed their jobs, they all moved there, and they started a discipleship school, and now they're starting a church there, and it's amazing, and they are on fire for Jesus. And most of them are in their late 20s through their early 40s. You tell me the church is dead, there's no way. But the institutional church needs to die that model that we've had where the clergy does everything, where we come to be entertained. If you want to know why I come, more than anything, it's to be in the presence of God and to hear the Lord's voice. I want to connect with God. I want to know by the time I've left here that I've been in the presence of the Lord. The Lord has spoken to me, and I have sensed and felt his presence. I've had people tell me coming into our church, they said, we've come into your church, and we've, it's the first place we've felt the presence of God in years, and we've gone to all these different churches. And you think, well, that should make me happy as a pastor. No, it actually makes me sad. I wish there were a lot of more places where you could go and feel the presence of God. But in a lot of places, it's about entertainment. It's not about his presence. Colossians 3.16. Let the message of Christ dwell among you as you teach richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. What this means is literally speaking truth to one another. Why does he say psalms, hymns, and songs? I think that's still a valid way to speak to people, to encourage people to come and share a song with them or whatever. But back then, they didn't have Bibles. They didn't have to to come in with a scroll with all of Scripture on it was unknown. That probably did not happen in most places till the 1500s. So how did they know the scripture? They sang it. And that's how they memorized it. There are even a lot of parts of scripture in the New Testament that are things that were sung, things that were proclaimed in the early church. And he's saying, these are people that are, uh, he said, go to other people and remind them of what the word is saying. That's what he's saying there. It sounds kind of funny, you know, do you want to call people up every morning and sing to them? I think that's great if you want to do that. But I think more what he's saying there, it's talking about speaking truth. The word admonish is a Greek word called nuthateos. Some of you might be aware of Jay Adams who started nuthetic counseling based on this. Basically, nuthetic counseling is taking the word, the truth of the word, and speaking it into people's lives. Jay Adams, it's interesting, in the 1960s was working in the state of Illinois, um, I believe it was the state of Illinois uh, mental health facility, and he found that, uh, well, uh, people did not react to other people on his team. 
he was a spirit-filled Christian, he would go into a room and people started manifesting demons. And he began to realize that psychology was limited and what they could do in helping people get better because a lot of people didn't have psychological problems, they had spiritual problems. And he said, people need to hear the word of God and it needs to be spoken at the right time and the right way by somebody who can speak truth into a person's life and see them get free by embracing that truth. So when we talk about speaking truth to one another, it's that right moment in time where you can speak a word of encouragement, where you can speak God's truth into another person's, another person's life. To admonish literally means to confront with truth or to warn. And I want to say when I say confront with truth, uh, this is not an opportunity to uh, go and lay people out and tear them up. The Word of God is powerful. Hebrews 4.12 says it's like a two-edged sword. It can be a scalpel, but sometimes people use it like a sword and they hurt people. A scalpel in the hands of a surgeon can be used skillfully to know where to cut and what to do, and it's done with care and compassion. A sword basically is a different kind of weapon altogether. So don't say that you're going and encourage somebody if you're taking the word and laying people out. Does that make sense? There's a difference here. So to admonish means, first of all, what it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean to preach at other people or speak down to people. Admonish means more than confrontation, it's loving concern. I want to ask the question, how heavy are your words with the people around you? Do you remember when Dave Buring asked us that? He said, for the people that you relate to, how heavy are your words? Has the way that you've lived your life given you an authority because they see that you really care for them? Has the way that you've walked in integrity and the fruit of the Spirit opened the door to their heart to receive the word that you're going to give to them? Can I tell you, you can be right on in discerning something about a person's life, but if you have a spirit that's not compassion, care, love, or uh, just a, uh, a tenderness for them, you can hurt them. Does that make sense? So we need to speak the word. This, that's what this is talking about, building one another up. The Lord uh, really put this on my heart this week just to share this with you. Beware of a critical spirit. Do you know what a critical spirit is? A critical spirit is when we have a heart that's always tearing things down, and usually there's, there's bitterness connected to it. We can confuse discernment, discerning in, by the Holy Spirit, with a critical spirit. How do you know the difference? When somebody has a critical spirit, their, their words cut instead of heal. If you've grown up in a household with somebody who has a critical spirit, I guarantee you that there are wounds in your soul. And by the way, sometimes they can speak truth, but they can be so cutting the way they say it and so damaging by the way they say it. Do you know what I'm talking about here? I remember um, years ago praying with somebody. We were doing freedom prayer, and that was the major stronghold in their life. And they said after God delivered them of a critical spirit, they did, it was like their whole personality had changed. And they said, I'm not, I'm not going around seeing everything wrong with everybody. And by the way, that's not what discernment is either, is it? Jesus saw everything about every one of his disciples, but he loved them. Okay? So if God's giving you discernment and it's not mixed with love and, you have, uh, and, and you're speaking down to them, what's it going to do? It's going to hurt. There is never, never, listen to this. This is hard for evangelicals, but we need to hear this. There's never a time when it's right for you to judge. 
You say, now, wait a minute. We're supposed to know difference from right and wrong and everything else. Let me define this very carefully. There's never a moment when you are supposed to climb into God's chair and pronounce judgment on people around you. Okay? And, and the word there, krenos, which says judge not lest you be judged, means don't krenos. Don't get into the high place of God's chair and look down on people and pronounce judgment on them. If you want to know why God trusted Abraham, when God went to Abraham and told him about Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham didn't say, fry him. What did he say? He said, God, if we can find a way. And the Lord, I believe, chose Abraham. Abraham is one of the first intercessors in the Bible. He stood between God and them because I, I think God knew Abraham's heart already. If you're a prophet and you're not brokenhearted for the people that you're speaking to, you have no right to speak truth to them. We can say the most difficult things to people that are true sometimes that they need to hear if we say them with love and compassion. But if you don't have that love and compassion, probably it's not going to be received well. And it will come across harsh. So when he says we are to admonish one another, when we are to speak words, there's a way and a time to do that. And I think you're, you're beginning to see that. Now, is there, is there time to discern? Yeah. God gives me discernment all the time about different things in people. And sometimes I wish I could turn it off. I'm going to just be real frank with you here for a moment. I'll drive into a city and I start getting a whole spiritual profile of a city. I start seeing spiritual things that are working. That's the way that God's wired me. And I go, Lord, can't I just go on vacation here? <laughs> we're, in vacation, we're on vacation in, um, down in uh, Georgia in uh, Savannah, Georgia, and we're looking at this historical, uh, it's a uh, cemetery. You know, some of you have heard the story. And uh, we're relaxing on this vacation, and the Lord said, I want you to walk over there. And I walked over, and there's the grave of Lachlan McIntosh. Lachlan McIntosh is the one that signed the Treaty of uh, Fort McIntosh and literally took the land from the tribes, and it happened on Treaty Line Road over here in Akron. But he's buried in Savannah, Georgia. The Lord said, I brought you here because I want you to pray and I want you to pray for healing in your area and praying with help. So I said, Lord, I almost got resentful. I said, Lord, I'm on vacation. <laughs> so sometimes I wish I could turn off discernment. But what you have to ask sometimes is you have to ask the question, Lord, why are you showing this to me? Many times God gives you discernment not because he wants you to go lay people out and tell them everything you know right away but he wants you to pray for them. Sometimes, and every, every time God gives you a word of wisdom, we need, we need uh, a word of knowledge. God needs to give us wisdom on how to use that. Okay, Lord, you're showing me this about this person. What am I supposed to do with this? It may be that you'll speak to them down the road. It may be that you'll pray for them for a month before you even talk to them. It may be that he just wants you to pray. But we have to be careful with the wisdom that God gives us. We don't just... Lay everything out. I love what it says about Mary. She treasured these things in her heart. She held things in her heart until it was the right time to speak those out or deal with those. And I, I can tell later in the church, she shared a lot of those things that the angel gave her at the beginning with the disciples later after Jesus had, been, uh, had died and been resurrected because we have that in Scripture. Mary held it all those years. She was probably a teenager when she gave birth to Jesus. And imagine all those years she held those. So we need to be better stewards of truth sometimes. 
The humility of your own heart and the compassion will open the door for the word to be shared. Look at Paul's example in Acts 20. He's saying goodbye to the Ephesian church here. He's on the way to Rome, and he stops there to say goodbye to the elders. He was in Ephesus longer than any other church. He says, For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of the Holy Spirit uh, that the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped nuthateos. I never stopped speaking truth. I never stopped speaking into your life. Each of you, night and day with tears. What is Paul saying about speaking truth? He's saying he did it with a broken heart and with tears. What a spiritual father Paul must have been. And here he is speaking to these leaders before he goes. He knows he's going to die. He knows he's coming to the end of his, of his ministry. And he stops to share with these leaders that he loves. And he says, you guys are the shepherds now. You need to be speaking the word, the nuthateos, to others. Steve, you asked me a question before the service. I don't mean to embarrass you, but the Lord is speaking to you about this right now. You've looked at people that are speaking into you. He wants to develop this in you. You need to be thinking about the people that God is calling you to speak into. You have a responsibility. Can you believe what you asked me in this message? I'm sorry, I usually don't stop like that, but I think this is a word of knowledge for you. And this next week, the Lord is going to show you what this means. He's going to speak to you about this. Romans 15, 14, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct, to nuthateos, to speak truth to one another. Now, you have to be filled with goodness and, and knowledge, have knowledge and be competent, okay, to do that. He said, yet I've written with you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because the grace of God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. We need to remind one another of the truths and the promises of God. We need to speak spiritual words of wisdom, words of knowledge, discernment that God has given us to share. I want to reference my friends, Joe and Dan, and there are others in my life that I can do, but just having been with them, every time we get together with them, we pray and we listen to the Lord for one another. Dan is one of those guys over the years that will sit down with me and he'll say, are you sure about what you're doing? He said, I see this and I feel like the Lord is saying this and he'll speak into my life. And something I love about Dan, and Dan, is a, he's an amazing guy. He works for the State Department of Agriculture. He also farms with his family. They farm, I don't know, a lot of acres. But uh, also, he's the head of the school board. They won an award for building a school that's off the grid with greenhouses and wind farms. It was the most sustainable. I mean, Dan is an amazing guy. People always underestimate him. And yet when I walk with him through his town and I see how people love him, I go, this is the kind of guy I want to walk with. I mean, everywhere, everywhere we go with them, it's like, there's Dan. And all these kids come to their house and he disciples them. He's just a wonderful guy. But he has permission to speak into my life. When we sit down together, I know that he's somebody that I can trust. And if he spoke a hard word with me, his words would be heavy. So I want to ask you a question. Where are the people in your life whose words are heavy with you? And you receive them. Thank you. Where are the people right now whose words are heavy with you? 
Are there people that are speaking into you into your life? Sometimes as a pastor, it's it's hard for me because I see people heading for crashes. I see people heading for difficult times and I have words for them, but I know my words aren't heavy with them and I can't I can't help them. Because they're they're not ready to hear what I have to say. I want to say to the younger generation right now, this is one of the most valuable things that you will develop in your life over time are a group of people that you can walk through life with that will speak truth into your life. Some of the greatest friends I have, and some of them are in this room, are people that have been friends with me for over 30 years, and that's a rare thing in this culture. Where are the people that can speak into your heart? And who are the people that God is calling you to invest in? We need to have a, a, a rich relationship to sustain the kind of ministry. This past week, I was um, meeting with uh, Emmanuel Dulat from Pakistan, and we prayed all over this room. I mean, we had a shouting prayer meeting. We were yelling in tongues and praying and proclaiming things, and we just walked all the way up and down and all over the church. I love that guy. He's really fun. And uh, we were, he was speaking some things to me that he felt like God was doing in the church and things that God was doing in my life. We're sitting at a restaurant, and he's sharing some of these things with me, and I get a buzz on my phone, and it's Vijesh. Vijesh says, I'm sitting here with a pastor from Reunion Island. You've never met him. His name is Samuel. He was driving to the airport in Reunion Island this morning, and the Lord spoke to him about a guy named Joe Del Torrio. He said, can he talk to you? And I said, sure. (laughs) So, you know, we connect, and he's got this video, and he's telling me what the Lord said. It was almost word for word what Emmanuel was speaking to me. I said, God, I needed that. Wow. Samuel said, this guy from Reunion Island, he said, can we walk together now? I said, yeah, I think we can. (laughs) I I want to share that story because he's a guy in his 20s. It's not always people that are more uh, that are older than you or whatever. God can use anybody. Without, and Samuel shared that word with such humility and blessing. It was a good word. It was, it was an amazing thing. And um, we need to be open to receive from people. Two things I pray for our congregation, that there would be a humility in our hearts and a teachability. How humble are you and how teachable are you? How willing are you to receive from other people? How willing are you to listen to the things that God has to say? 1 Thessalonians 5.12, it says, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish, Nuthateos, who admonish you, who speak truth in your life. Hold them in the highest regard and love, because of their work. Live in peace with each other. God wants us to live in peace, and it's related to this whole idea of speaking truth and being connected to one another and having the kind of mature relationships uh, that can happen like this. Let me finish with this. 2 Timothy 4.1 gives some dimensions to what I think this nuthateos, this speaking truth, is all about. And uh, for years, uh, we used Francis Frangipani's uh, material in Christ's image training, and this comes from that school. 
But in 2 Timothy 4.1, it says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. That means you need to be prepared wherever you are at any moment, any time of the day, to share the word with people. Is it true? Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Francis says, many people read the scripture and they see encourage, encourage, encourage with great patience. For the time will come, and we're in the season right now, so listen to what I'm saying, because this is going to make the difference between the people of God and the people that are heading toward destruction. A time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And that's what people are doing right now. They're saying, well, I'm going to create my own version of truth. I'm going to, I'm going to just totally throw out what people have believed for generations and what's been taught in the church for generations, and I'm going to build my own truth support team. They will turn their ears away from truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and discharge all the duties of your ministry. He says, correct, rebuke, and encourage. This is a ministry that is so crucial in the hour in which we live. We need to be open to correction. We need to be open to be uh, rebuked as well as encouraged. So let me read this from Francis Frangipani, and then we'll pray. He says this, quote, Paul told Timothy to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. And that's how it comes out in the King James. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. He didn't say exhort, exhort, exhort. But exhortation is what we received in most churches. In other words, it's all encouragement. Certainly we need to be encouraged, but there are also times, beloved, when we need to be reproved and rebuked. Today there are preachers who are afraid to preach truth for fear people will react and leave the church. The end result is a church of easily offended people who cannot grow beyond their inability to accept correction. Is that heavy? But it's true. Embrace it. Take it into your heart. People don't change by exhortation alone. There are areas in all of us that need to be confronted and disciplined. The pastor who refuses to discipline and correct those in sin is in disobedience to God. He is unable to lead people into any truth, truly transforming, transforming changes in their lives. They will not endure to the end if they cannot be corrected. It's hard for me as a pastor sometimes to correct people and see them just walk away. No, I'm going to go somewhere else where people will, won't, won't, won't criticize me. I'm going to go somewhere else where people are just encouraging and they're not going to speak truth. And then finally, Francis says this, we need to become a people who say, Lord, show me what needs to change in me. I'm talking about growing up. A wise man will receive a rebuke and he will prosper, but a fool rejects his father's discipline. Proverbs 15, 5. So I want to pray this morning, and I want to ask you about three things just real quickly in prayer. Number one, how teachable are you? Are you willing to say, God, give me a heart that's open so that I can learn from you and be open to correction instead of being stubborn and doing my own thing? And for some of us, we need to repent and we need to open our hearts. How willing are you to grow? Number two, how many of you would say, I've done this, but I've done it with a critical spirit and I need to repent. I want to be free of the critical spirit. I want to be able to speak truth and love and not hurt people by my words. 
The other thing is, how many of you have been offended by people that have spoken truth in your life, and instead of listening to counsel, you got angry and you walked away? I felt like the Lord said this morning, some of you are stuck spiritually in your walk because there was a moment in time where you were corrected and you decided not to listen to the correction. And by the way, even if the person was wrong in the way they did it, you can, you can learn to, from your accusers. Jesus even says that in Matthew 6. You can even learn from your, agree with your accuser on the way to go to the judge, he says. So own what you can own. You don't have to take the critical spirit, but you can at least own what you know there and you can deal with that. And for some of us, we need to go back to that moment when the Lord spoke a word and said, you need to deal with this. Can we just pray? Let's bow our heads for a moment. Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would activate the word that we've heard today. I pray, Lord, that you would take the word and that you would just apply it to our hearts right now. Lord, if there are people here that have been offended by words that have been spoken or offended by people that came to admonish them, so to speak, Lord, help us to let go of the offense and to be able to say, Lord, I want to humble my heart and I want to learn and I want to grow. I don't want to have a proud heart. I don't want to have a stubborn heart. I want to have a teachable heart. I want to have a, a heart of humility. Especially for some of the younger people here, you will save years of painful learning experience if you learn to humble your heart and learn and grow from others. Please hear what I'm saying. I say this as an older brother in the Lord. Please listen to what the Lord is saying. Lord, also there are some here and you, when they heard that word critical spirit, you're putting a finger on their heart right now and you're saying, you know, you're, you have discernment, but you're, you're doing it out of a critical spirit. It's not the Holy Spirit. And the Lord is saying it's time to renounce that critical spirit, that judgmental spirit, and instead, it's time to have a heart of compassion and to speak words out of a broken heart. I want to ask for our prayer team to come up to the front. And if we could all stand together. I believe God wants to do some ministry in people's hearts today. If he's calling you about any of those three things that I mentioned, just come on up and allow people to pray for you. Maybe you need to find some time just to pray alone before you head out. Sometimes just a few minutes of responding to the word in prayer can make the difference whether you're just a hearer or whether you put that to work in your life. So let's just respond to the Lord right now. Come, Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Just work in us, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I just pray that you would let your word have full effect in our hearts right now. Pray, Lord, that you would speak to us, God, that you would give us hearts that are teachable, Give us hearts that are humble. Lord, teach us how to speak love and truth at the same time to people around us. Help us in this season to protect one another because that's what Paul was doing, Lord. He was like a shepherd protecting the sheep. He was like a father protecting his children. Help us to have that heart, God, in protecting one another, we pray. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God.